I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Isaiah chapters 59 through 63. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We see the depravity of the Jews in chapter 59, beginning with verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways." They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places." We all growl like bears, and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none, for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. In this prophecy, Isaiah dwells on the depravity of those Jews who had turned their backs on God. We see in verses 1 and 2 that God is already to deliver, but Israel flatly rejects God's salvation. If some of these indictments against Israel seem familiar, that's because Paul quotes verses 7 and 8 to describe the depravity of man in general, not specifically Jews. He does so in Romans chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. After all, sin is sin, no matter who it is. The point of these verses is to show that Israel is undeserving of redemption. It is also interesting to note that the pronouns used in the first eight verses are second or third person, an indictment against Israel. But Isaiah moves to first person pronouns in verse 9 to indicate that all, including himself, suffer from the consequences of their sin. That's one of the dreadful side effects of rebellion against God. 
many obedient people are negatively impacted by the rebellion of a few. Notice the state of Jewish society in Isaiah's day in verse 15. He says, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Truth was ignored by Isaiah's contemporaries, and whoever was bold enough to take a stand against evil became a target. Let's affirm, Isaiah is talking about Israel in this passage. Their sin had a negative impact upon Isaiah himself, while he viewed righteous people being villainized. Can you imagine a society where evil is regarded as good and good as evil, where evildoers are praised and the righteous are villainized? Hmm. Well, that sounds kind of contemporary, doesn't it? And then we have judgment and redemption in Isaiah chapter 59, beginning with verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my Spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Well, then Isaiah addresses this sin with a promise of judgment for those who reject and salvation for those who receive. The Redeemer, being the Messiah, is promised in verse 20 when it says, The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Though Isaiah's prophetic ministry precedes that of Jeremiah, the new covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 to 34 is in view here. This is the covenant that will result in the whole nation of Israel being righteous before God at the beginning of the millennium. The new covenant is presented again in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 8 through 12 as the basis by which all are saved, not just the Jew. It's an individual salvation with God's law written on each believer's heart. Notice the way in which Isaiah expresses it in verse 21 when he says, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. In Isaiah chapter 60, we see that Israel will rise again, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see, they all gather together, and they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see, and become radiant." And your heart shall swell with joy because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. 
All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nabal-Yoth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with the acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roost? Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually, they shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflict you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles, and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob." Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also your people shall all be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand." and a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Well, it's been a tough road for Israel, but they will rise again and become the center of activity in the whole world. In this chapter, Isaiah outlines the restored glory of Israel before the world during the millennium. Isaiah speaks of ideal living conditions under the authority of the Messiah of Israel. All the nations of the world will look to Jerusalem for leadership. He kicks off this enlightening with verse 1 when he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. We'll see the impact of this light in the subsequent verses. Perhaps a distinction should be made here regarding the revelation of John. In the book of Revelation, we see a period of 1,000 years where Satan himself is bound, and that's Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 6. We know this yet future period as the millennium. At the end of the millennium, Satan is loosed and subsequently mounts an attack against the Messiah with the assistance of those who will have been compliant during the Messiah's reign, but they will not have received by faith Jesus Christ and will not have established a faith relationship, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. 
after the defeat of Satan, he will be cast into the lake of fire where he will spend an eternity, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. After the white throne judgment, which is seen in chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 11 through 15, hell then will be removed from the center of the earth and cast into the lake of fire also. At that point in time, according to Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, those verses say this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The purpose for recapping Revelation 20 here is to show the chronological relationship between the millennium and a distinct period following the millennium after which a new heaven and a new earth are created. It would also appear that only after that do we see the new Jerusalem, not during the millennium itself, as some very fine Bible scholars have suggested. Now, with that being established as our working premises, let's compare Isaiah's prophecy to that of John with regard to the living conditions during the millennium and after the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Here's some prophecy from Isaiah chapter 60 that will certainly be fulfilled during the millennium. Verse 2 says, The Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And then here's another prophecy fulfilled during the millennium. Verse 3, The Gentiles shall come to your light. Verse 4, Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Verse 10, another prophecy, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. Verse 12, For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish. Verse 14, They shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And verse 15, another prophecy, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. And finally, verse 16, You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. However, beginning with verse 18, we have some provisions which do not particularly characterize the millennium, but do characterize the period extending into eternity after the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 18 says, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9 tell us that Satan will mount an attack at the end of the millennium. Verses 19 and 20 in this passage say, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. We see this, by the way, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. That's the new Jerusalem and the new heaven, new earth, where it says, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And then verse 21 says, Also your people shall all be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever. The millennium is a period of 1,000 years. Forever... Well, that begins with the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now, I can see no theological problem whatsoever with Isaiah's merging of the specifications for these two periods in Isaiah chapter 60. All the specifications will be fulfilled, and they'll line up nicely with John's revelation. In chapter 61, we see more messianic activity. It's a very important passage, by the way, and I'll show you why in just a few moments. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, 
to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess a double, everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. These verses give more detail about the righteous rule of the coming Messiah. We now know that these are conditions which will be met at the beginning of the millennium. As the righteous Redeemer, He will bring about worldwide righteousness. The benefits to Israel are apparent all through chapters 60 and 61. Jerusalem will be the center of activity as the Messiah rules. Gentiles will highly regard the Jews. And finally, in verse 11, it says, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Now, here's the inflammatory part. In the early part of Christ's earthly ministry, he identified himself as the Messiah by going into the temple in Luke chapter 4 and reading verses 1 and 2 from this passage that took place in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. After he read those verses, then in Luke 4.21, he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Christ was plainly saying that he was that Messiah prophesied by Isaiah. Now, just read Luke 4 to see their reaction. They tried to kill him. It's obvious they knew exactly what he was implying, and they didn't like it one bit. This was the deal-breaker for them. This was just more Messiah than these Jewish leaders were really looking for. Then in verses 4 through 11, we find additional conditions listed for life during the millennium. Well, we see there will be rebuilding projects of things previously destroyed in verse 4. Gentiles will provide service to Jews in verse 5. Jews will be named the priest of the Lord in verse 6. Provisions for the Jews will be provided by Gentiles, also seen in verse 6. Jews will have a double portion of provisions in verse 7. And then we see that Jews in verse 9, verses 8 and 9, will be blessed with an everlasting covenant that all Gentiles will acknowledge. And then finally, in verses 10 and 11, God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That brings us to Isaiah chapter 62. Jerusalem, you'll be back. Verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation is a lamp that burns. 
the Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hevzebah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent, and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely, I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies, and the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine, for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples." Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. This prophecy depicts God speaking to Jerusalem on behalf of Jerusalem regarding the coming glory of the Messianic reign during the millennium. Now, there are a couple old songs I like that make reference to Beulah land. Verse 4 here has that reference, the only reference to this term for Jerusalem, by the way, and Beulah means married. You'll see from the context that it speaks of the relationship of the inhabitants of Jerusalem to the city as well as God's relationship to the city. That marriage indicates a permanent bond that will be established on both accounts. Moreover, the word Hevzebah, in that verse, means my delight is in her. Verse 12 sums up the coming glory of Jerusalem and its inhabitants during the millennium. It says, And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The context here would suggest conditions in Jerusalem during the millennium itself, not the new and improved Jerusalem of Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. That, of course, is after the millennium. And, of course, we talked about that when we were reading Isaiah chapter 60. Jerusalem will be the capital city of the entire world during the millennium. And then we have the Battle of Armageddon depicted in Isaiah chapter 63, beginning with verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this one who was glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. 
Well, Edom is east of Jerusalem along with the city in Edom called Basra, which is referenced here in this passage. At the end of the tribulation period of seven years, the great last battle of Armageddon takes place when the nations of the world will stage their last tribulation period stand against the righteous and against righteousness itself. Edom epitomizes these wicked nations as they are Israel's nearest wicked neighbors at the time of the writing of this prophecy. There's a really interesting play on words in this prophecy. Edomites were the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, the father of all the Israelites. So how did Esau become known as Edom? Well, Genesis 25 verse 30 says, And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. The Hebrew word for red is the same Hebrew word given as the nickname for Esau because his favorite color seemed to be red. Esau's nickname, in other words, was red. Just so happens that blood is red, so you see the play on words in these verses with the Edomites, the red people, and the red blood on the garment of the conquering Messiah from fighting the enemies of God. In chapter 63, verses 7 through 14, we see God's mercy upon Israel. Verse 7, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their Savior, and all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old." But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them, to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep, as a horse in the wilderness, that they might not stumble. As a beast goes down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. Now these verses show us God's commitment to Israel as his people. Isaiah goes back to recall the days of Moses leading Israel in the wilderness. However, we see in verse 10 it says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Afterward, even though they rebelled, God is still merciful to Israel. And then we see the Jewish remnant's prayer for deliverance in verses 15 through 19. Verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me. Are they restrained? Doubtless you are our father, though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Return for your servants' sake the tribes of your inheritance. Your holy people have possessed it but a little while." Our adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. We have become like those of old over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. Well, this, these verses, 15 through 19, will be the prayer of the remnant of Israel 
who will be saved during the tribulation. They'll be looking for God to restore them to glory. They'll remind God of how he defeated their enemies back in the old days, and they'll call upon him to do it all over again. Of course he will, and this sets the stage for the last great battle of Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. The one that we know is the Battle of Armageddon. This prayer is continued on into Isaiah chapter 64. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.